There was a man named Karl Barth who was a theologian, perhaps one of the most influential theologians in the history of the Christian church. He lived in the early to mid-1900s, and he was a brilliant man and a prolific writer. He wrote over six million words on 8,000 pages contained in 13 different volumes on theology. And what he was trying to do was go through what it is that we as Christians believe. And he wrote about things in a very deep and uh, philosophical sort of way, very engaging, but yet 13 volumes, a lot of material. And so at one point, some interviewer or somebody sat down with him and said to him, okay, you've written lots and lots of stuff. If you were going to summarize everything that you've written, if you were going to summarize even the essence of Christianity into one statement, what would it be? Karl Barth thought for a moment, and then he said, actually, it's pretty easy. I would say this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That after six million words and lots of deep thinking that we come back around to the very basic fundamental truths of the faith, and that is first and foremost, God loves us in the person of Jesus. That's the essence of Christianity, that Jesus loves us. The second half is also important. And that is how we know that Jesus loves us. It's because the Bible tells us. In our study of the book of Ephesians, we've been going through basic Christian truths. And we've looked at such topics as God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Satan, sin, salvation, the church. This morning what we want to do is talk about how we know these things about these subjects which is basically a time to look at the Bible itself. And this morning what we want to talk about is what do Christians believe about the Scriptures? What do we believe about the Bible? So if you have your Bibles, if you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3, if you're here and you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love for you to still follow along with us in the rack in front of you, if you're on the first floor, or in the balcony underneath your seat, there is a Bible. If you open one of those Bibles to page 828, you will be exactly where we are. And I will be reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Ephesians 3, page 828. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. 
I want to begin by noticing what Paul says at the end of verse 3. See where he says, as I have already written briefly. What he's referring to is the first two chapters in the book of Ephesians that we've already looked at. What he's saying is that stuff that I wrote to you, the stuff I just got done saying, that material has been revealed to me by God. And that is the foundational truth about the Bible. It is the Word of God. These are not Paul's ideas. Yes, they're his words, and yes, he's put them the way he's put them. But at the end of the day, what he's saying is, I'm writing down what God revealed to me, what God spoke to me. You see, sometimes we have this idea that there were some people who hung out with Jesus, and they decided, hey, let's write some stuff down. And they wrote some letters to some different people, or they wrote some stories about Jesus, and those things were around for a while, and people were like, hey, this is pretty interesting. And after a few hundred years, they decided to get a bunch of those writings together, and they said, what should we call this thing? And they decided, let's call it the Bible, and we'll say it was the Word of God. That's not what happened. What happened is, is from the very moment Paul is writing, he thinks what he's writing is not from him. He thinks what he's writing has actually been revealed to him by God. That what he's putting down on paper is the very Word of God. Not his ideas, not his thoughts, but what God has to say. And that's what we believe about the Bible. It is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way. All Scripture is God-breathed. This means that it is sourced in God. God has breathed out what we are talking about when we talk about the Word of God, that it has come from Him. Human authors may be involved in the process, but they attribute what they are writing not to themselves, but to God speaking His words. And so the foundational truth about the Bible is that it is the Word of God. Paul thinks that's what he's doing with this letter to the Ephesians, sharing what God revealed to him. Now that raises the question. There's lots of things that claim to be from God. There's lots of people who wrote stuff who said God told them to write it. Why did this letter to the Ephesians end up in what we call the Bible? And why didn't other things end up there? Why, when I asked you to open this book this morning, did we not turn to the pages of the Quran or to the Book of Mormon or to some other writings that have existed throughout human history that have claimed to be from God? Why this book? Notice what Paul says in verse number 5. His revelation or his insight into the mystery of who Jesus is was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. What Paul's done with that phrase, holy apostles and prophets, is he's gone out of, the, out of his way to make sure that the word holy only applies to the first noun, apostles, and not to the word prophets. 
He's written it very specifically that way. And that's for a reason. The word holy means set apart by God for a specific task or purpose. And Paul is identifying that when God wanted to communicate his written word, he selected a group of men and set them apart for that task, and they are called apostles. They are those who were commissioned by Jesus, who lived with Jesus and spent time with Jesus, and Jesus communicated to them the message from God, and that while there are prophets and teachers and other people who hear from the Lord and speak on the Lord's behalf, there is only one group of people who were assigned the task of the written Word of God, and they are the apostles. And that's why the book of Ephesians and these other books are in our New Testament, is because they were written by the apostles or endorsed by the apostles. Now, this is not the same for the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, but I'm speaking today uh, just of the second half of the New Testament. Every book that is placed in there was placed by, uh, was because it was written by someone who is an apostle or was approved by an apostle. These were people selected by God to be entrusted with the task of writing the Word of God. Now, if the Bible is the Word of God, as I'm claiming, there are five truths about it that I want us to understand today. First, the Bible is self-authenticating. Self-authenticating. Notice what Paul says in verse number four. In reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Basically, how, does, how are we going to know if what Paul is writing has been revealed to him by God? He says, well, read it. <laughs> read it and see. It is self-authenticating. God will speak through his word, convincing us that this is the very word of God. I mean, after all, there's lots of interesting things about the Bible. Like, I find it fascinating that although it's one book, there were over 40 different authors separated on three different continents who were all writing at different times, who all wrote something that fits together in one perfect message. That's interesting. That's amazing to me. It's interesting to me just the kind of impact that this is the single most impactful book in the history of humanity. That's interesting. But that does not prove that this is the Word of God. The Bible never tries to prove it is the Word of God. It simply asserts that it is God's Word and then says, read it. Read it and see what happens. This is self-authenticating. If this is God's Word as I'm claiming, then something powerful should happen when you read it. I could give you all sorts of arguments or reasons for why you should, but the best argument is read it and see what God does in and through it. This is what Paul says. You want to know whether or not what I'm telling you is actually from God? Read this, and it will authenticate itself to you. That's the first truth about the Bible. It is self-authenticating. 
The second truth I want us to understand is that it is inerrant. It is without error. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6 say, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Any human words that might be added to God's word will be shown to be false. But every word that's from God is flawless. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth, speaking to God the Father. And where is truth found? Your word is truth. Every word of God is flawless. Everything that God has written is without error. It is perfect. Now, that doesn't mean that when God is reporting on the number of people who died in a battle in ancient Israel, that he doesn't round numbers. That if there were 16,251 people, that he will say 16,000 people died in battle. He does do those kinds of things. It also means that there are times in which God says things the way he wants to say them, not the way scientists may want it said. So when God says the sun stood still in the sky, he's simply saying it from our perspective. He's not saying the earth stopped rotating on its axis. We know that to be how this works, but he's chosen to express himself in ways that we understand. So we recognize that when we say every word is flawless, what we mean is, is that God has said exactly what he wants to say, and that everything he said is trustworthy because it is true, because it is sourced in God who is himself light. It's impossible for him to lie. There is no darkness in him whatsoever. He cannot deceive. It's not within his nature. He can't do it. And that's why every word that comes from him is without error. It's completely reliable, completely believable, flawless. He has said exactly what he wants to say in exactly the way he wants to say it. Number three, not only is the Bible self-authenticating and inerrant, it is also authoritative. Because it is the Word of God, it is authoritative. It has authority to tell us how to live and what to believe. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the issue of sexual immorality. He's talking about sex outside of the bounds of marriage. And he knows full well that his message is not going to be popular, just like it's not popular today. So interestingly, he says this after explaining that they must remain pure. He says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. To disobey the Bible is to disobey God. We like to think, well, we'll kind of pick and choose the things that we want to believe or the things that we want to do, and we'll still be okay with God. The problem is this is the Word of God. This is what God is saying to us. To disobey it is to disobey God. 
The ideas about sexual purity are not something Paul dreamed up 2,000 years ago that were relevant back then. This is God's command to us. And if we reject it, we're not rejecting humans. We are rejecting God himself because this is his word. Likewise, it is authoritative not only for what we do, but also what we believe. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was having a discussion with a group of religious leaders known as Sadducees, and they had in their own theological way worked out a very nice system in which there was no resurrection from the dead. As Jesus is confronting them, what he says to them is, you are in error. Why? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Have you not read what God said to you? He's saying, look, your theological system works nicely, except for one problem. The Bible says something different. And therefore, the Bible is the authority which tells us what we must believe. You know, there are things in here I don't really want to believe. I don't really want to believe in a hell. I don't want to really believe in discipline for disobeying God. There are lots of things I don't want to believe. The reason I do believe them is because I'm not the authority. It is. God's Word tells me what I must believe because it is the Word of God. You know, there's lots of Christians walking around today who have nice, neat theological systems. Everything works out perfectly in our minds. They may have come from our parents or from our churches or from our culture or whatever. For example, we may be walking around thinking, well, yes, I prayed a prayer when I was five years old, and I asked Jesus into my heart, and therefore anything I do from this moment on for the rest of my life, I can live however I want, and when I die, well, I'm going to get into heaven because I prayed that prayer when I was five years old, and that system works nicely. It's a nice, closed system. The problem is the Scriptures say differently. They says there is nobody who has genuine faith who also has no works. It's not possible. If Christ dwells in your heart, it will show itself in fruit. And this is the power of the Scriptures as they confront our beliefs and are authoritative over them. Number four, not only is the Bible self-authenticating and inerrant and authoritative, it is also sufficient. Sufficient. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly furnished or equipped for every good work. At home on my bedstand, there is a stack of books that I keep meaning to read. And every time I read one of them, there's another hundred that need to be added to the stack. And I'm constantly feeling like, man, there's more parenting books or pastoring books or self-help books. There's all sorts of stuff I need to know about that I don't know anything about. But at the end of the day, God has said that his word 
is what thoroughly furnishes me for everything I need to do in life. Everything I need to do as a pastor, everything I need to be as a parent, everything God wants of me as a person is contained in his word. This doesn't mean that there aren't also useful things in other books. Of course there are. But at the end of the day, this is sufficient for us to be thoroughly equipped for everything God wants us to do. And the distraction we get is all this other stuff that you can never get to the bottom of keeps us away from the one thing that if you get it will give you everything that you need for life and godliness. The scriptures are sufficient because they are the word of God. If God wanted more from us, he would have written it. Now, this doesn't mean that there isn't truth outside of the Scriptures. There are. There is. But everything you and I need to know in order to live lives pleasing to God, He's put in His Word so that we might be thoroughly equipped. Fifth and finally, and this I think is the most important, at least for us today, because the Bible is the Word of God, and I struggled for an adjective to use, but... I'd like to use the word living. It's not only self-authenticating and inerrant and authoritative and sufficient, it is also living. See, the idea is, is that when we read Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, or the rest of the New Testament, we're not eavesdropping on a conversation that took place 2,000 years ago. This is not simply something that was written by a man 2,000 years ago to another group of people 2,000 years ago. Because God stands outside of time, His Word is actually for us today. That He is speaking to us in His Word. It's not an ancient book. It is something that God uses to talk to us today. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul's talking to the Corinthians and he's quoting them from the Old Testament. He's talking to them about events that happened thousands of years before they lived. But notice what he says. These things happened to them, those people that lived all that time ago, as examples, and were written down as warnings for who? For us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. The Paul's saying, look, God wasn't just writing about stuff that happened thousands of years ago for their sake. He was writing about it for us. Jesus said that, didn't he, in the Matthew 22 passage we looked at. Have you not read what God said to you? Not to them, but to you. So it is for us today that God in his word is speaking to us. He is writing to us in our situation. A week ago Saturday, I was asked to do the funeral for Helen Stewart, who's an amazing woman, part of our congregation for many years, and a gifted Bible teacher and amazing servant of God. And to be honest, I felt kind of nervous. This was an important funeral. Uh, and I felt sort of the weight of having to, to stand up and speak about a woman who for 85 years had served God in incredibly amazing ways. And as I sat and began to pray and say, Lord, what am I supposed to say? He took me to the book of Philippians and I started to read and my jaw dropped and it felt like God had written that text 
for this exact situation. That as I'm reading through, it was stunning. That these were the very words that God wanted spoken at this funeral. That these were words that she would have said if she was able. And God gave them to me through his word. And it was crazy. It was crazy. And I just simply ended the funeral by reading these words and said, This is God speaking to us. And he was present. And the thing that crossed my mind was, because God stands outside of time, is that when he inspired Paul to write those words, he not only had the church at Philippi in mind, he had Helen Stewart in mind. Isn't that crazy? The same thing happened with the disciples who are walking on the Emmaus Road with Jesus. They're having a hard time believing that he is the Messiah, the Son of God who's come to rescue them from their sins. And so as he walks with them, he simply opens up the Old Testament and shares with them scriptures. And it says their hearts burned within them. That was God speaking directly to them. It happened to me when I was 17 years old. And I was in the midst of a cloud of doubt as to whether I was actually a Christian or not. And I felt like, is there even a God? Does he even exist? Is this all just a bunch of ideas? And in the midst of that darkness and confusion, God spoke to me, John chapter 1, verse 12. He didn't say to me, hey, there were some people a couple thousand years ago I wrote something to, you might want to read it. What he did was say, that is me talking to you. You are my child. I have adopted you into my family. God speaking through his word. It happened to one of the deacons from this church six months ago. We were looking at some issues with a church plant that we were doing and looking for guidance from God. And that morning, the deacon opened up his Bible to his reading for the day, and it was Luke 13. And as he read the passage, he calls me on the phone and says, you got to read what Luke 13 says. Not to my shame, I should have known what it said, but I had to look it up. So I open it up and I start reading and I think to myself, have I never seen this before in my life? It was like God had written our exact situation into that chapter. And in the middle of it, you know, the goosebumps on the back of your neck, you realize God is now talking. I need to listen. It happened to me a couple of months ago in the midst of a discouraging and confusing situation in which I thought, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to say something? Am I supposed to not say something? Am I supposed to fight? Am I supposed to not fight? What am I supposed to do? And God opened me up to Psalm chapter 27. And all of a sudden, David and everybody else faded from view. And God began to speak through those words. And as I read those words, I thought, this is written for me. I don't know what all the rest of the people and all the rest of the ages of history thought about this psalm, but this is mine. This is my psalm written by God to me for this exact situation. Exact situation. It was crazy. One of our new members, when you become a member of the church, you uh, fill out uh, your testimony and talk about your relationship with God. And we as elders read those and pray for you. And one of those that just came through this month a young woman shared about her story, and this is what she said about her relationship with God. I talk to God, and I feel like He talks back. I read Scripture before I go to bed, and I always feel like He's talking to me personally and answering my questions. 
Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever come to a service and heard God's word preached and thought, there's nobody else in the room. God is talking just to me. That's the living word of God. Have you ever opened up his word and read something and thought, God is talking to me right now. That's the living word of God. This is the thing I most want us to understand. This is not a book from 2,000 years ago. It is God's word to us today. There's probably been no better way to actually illustrate this than to show you a video that I saw this week of a tribe in Indonesia which is receiving for the very first time the Word of God, the New Testament, in their own language. Watch their reaction and recognize what it means for this to be the living voice of God. 